Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. North Korea needs to know that we're there, that we have superiority uh, with the submarines and nuclear subs. Uh, We need to get in their head and Chairman Xi's head that if they do anything that's aggressive militarily, we will. There will be consequences uh, to that. And I think it's not by accident, it's by design that you're seeing the Pacific Command uh, deploy these nuclear subs now for the first time in 40 years because the tension has been provocative by Chairman Xi in North Korea, not by the United States, but rather by our adversaries. Well, the fact That's that, uh, Mike McCall. Having watched Oppenheimer over the weekend, then knowing that North Korea's got one of those weapons in the hands of a complete lunatic, it's really troubling. Yeah, yeah. Is he a lunatic or is he just a calculating uh, monster? We could argue about that. But uh, we always introduce the the beginning of the show with an honorary general manager. And this morning I went with the United States military uh, for a handful of reasons, one of which is is quite top of mind for me. But uh, some of the supporting evidence, just scanning some of the headlines, U.S. and 12 allies this weekend began a military exercise involving a record setting 30,000 troops in Australia combined 30,000, part of a broader effort to prepare for and deter a Chinese attack on Taiwan, among other things. And you said that was a that's a record? That's the most we ever... Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, that's, it's the combined troops of 12 allies, yeah. including the United States. Wow. But, but yeah, 30,000 doing exercises in Australia, sending a message. Iran has reportedly detained a fourth American citizen. Uh, you've got uh, instability in Israel, which we haven't talked about that much, but it's really pretty interesting. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said North Korea fired several cruise missiles into the Yellow Sea west of the Korean Peninsula, etc., etc. And uh, you may have seen that 3,000 U.S. military reservists uh, are on standby. They could be getting the drop-everything call soon after the president authorized additional mobilizations to Eastern Europe earlier this month. Uh, Interestingly, some anti-supporting Ukraine uh, factions among Americans are pointing out that this is clearly escalating toward world war with Russia. I think that's ridiculous. Um, But 
they pointed out in the dispatch, and I just thought this was interesting in itself. I'm not trying to make any particular argument, but uh, the 3,000 is a small fraction of the U.S.'s roughly 800,000 reserve troops, which is distinct from the military's more than 1.3 million active duty personnel. Uh, if you're curious about how many uh, men and women we have under arms these days, it's a little over 2 million. So the reason all of this was uh, especially top of mind for me is I had quite the amazing weekend of of travel and uh, family visiting and, and ceremonies. As longtime listeners have heard me mention many, many times through the entire history of the show, or darn near it, that my brother is an active duty naval officer. And, um, and he retired, essentially, his retirement ceremony and change of command ceremony was this weekend. And it was one of the most uh, amazing, moving things I've ever seen. Um, I'll try to get through this without blubbering. I'll probably be unsuccessful. Um, But I'll skip to the punchline. Both the ceremony and then the reception afterward, then the party at his house, and I was talking to a bunch of his contemporary uh, officers, retired and active duty. And the amount of sheer brilliance training, expertise, dedication, patriotism among these guys is awe-inspiring. I mean, the idea that the military is for people who can't find other jobs or whatever idiotic cliche you've had, spend 10 minutes with these guys, stand humbled and awed by what unbelievable humans they are. And I left out disciplined uh, among my descriptions and it's just so incredibly impressive um but anyway so the the retirement ceremony and each branch has its own retirement ceremonies and they each have their own uh greatness i'm sure uh but the navy's is is so cool they you know there are speeches given and and the keynote speech was actually delivered by the chief of boat of uh, one of the uh, subs actually the sub my brother commanded um for several years, uh, who is the senior enlisted guy talking about my brother and his leadership style. And it was it was very, hmm. very cool. And I was very, very proud of him. Um, some of the stories, because he's too humble to tell them himself. Uh, I mean, he'll make reference to some of the things that happened, but to hear it from another perspective was, was, was pretty cool. Um, but after 29 and a half years of, of serving the country, he's now, he's still active duty, um, cause he had some leave accumulated. Uh, but he said, no, essentially other than picking up the phone or helping out, if somebody has a question, he said, no, I'm, I'm pretty much done. Although he said, we go to war with China, <laughs> all bets are off. Oh, really? Back in uniform. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, but I thought I would read this to you. Um, and this was incredibly moving. This is the, uh, the poem essentially that they read at the end um and they they change it depending on your years of service but here's the way it went for 29 years this sailor has stood the watch while some of us were in our bunks at night this sailor stood the watch while some of us were in school learning our trade this shipmate stood the watch yes even before some of us were born into this world this shipmate stood the watch in those years when the storm clouds of war were seen brewing on the horizon of history this shipmate stood the watch Many times he would cast an eye ashore and see his family standing there, needing his guidance and help, needing that hand to hold during those hard times, but he still stood the watch. He stood the watch for 29 years. He stood the watch so that we, our families, and our fellow countrymen could sleep soundly in safety each and every night, knowing that a sailor stood the watch. 
<clears throat> Today we are here to say, shipmate, the watch stands relieved. Relieved by those you have trained, guided, and led. Shipmate, you stand relieved. We have the watch. Um, and then they blow the pipe and ring the bell, and, and off he goes. It's really quite amazing. Um, and then you see these kids who he's training, and, and then in the little slideshow uh, of, of his career, you see that he looked like a kid mm. when he started. And these youngsters are built into these amazing people through the traditions of the United States military. And to you can almost not express how incredibly important that excellence is without resorting to cliches that everybody claims they understand about, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, our, our military that preserves our freedom and protects us from from those who would end it and that sort of thing. But when you see the beginning, middle, and end of that process, you understand these are not people who'd merely do a job. They dedicate their lives to a purpose. And uh, and it's just, it's, it's really, really cool. And not uh, an academic exercise either, as like I'm watching the news up there, China warplanes flying over where we've got those exercises going on you know it's 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 for real the preparing for that stuff well and and the military is not a a, a laboratory for social experiments either you know they can try stuff absolutely that's fine but to have anybody other than those in charge of military preparedness uh, deciding what the military should do is uh is it's folly it's suicidal honestly and the one uh, one final note, maybe in talking to a lot of these guys, uh, is that if you've ever heard of the uh, the cases where there's some weapon system or boat or whatever that the military says we don't need this boat, we don't want this boat, this boat doesn't work, but the congressman from the district where the boat is made insisting on we keep spending billions of dollars on this boat, that stuff happens a lot. And it sucks. Mm. And it's awful. You know, I was thinking, as you're uh, reading that, I was thinking, um, I mentioned I went to Oppenheimer over the weekend, and so I was doing some reading about the should we have dropped the bomb or not. And uh, one of the articles that I came across from the pro we should have dropped the bomb, which uh, Truman did. Uh, If you don't know that, then you are so... So not a student of history, you probably don't enjoy this show. But um, the the last island we took, Okinawa, which if you know anything about World War II history, lots of movies, lots of books written about Okinawa. We lost 12,500 men in that battle. The Japanese lost 200,000 people, half of them civilians. And it would have been many multiples times that, obviously, to take the big island of Japan. And the argument was, so if it had cost 200,000 U.S. servicemen, how are you making the argument why all those lives were worth ex- uh, you know, expending rather than dropping the bomb? What's your argument for that if you're Harry Truman? How do you explain to the parents of the dead soldiers that, no, this was so we wouldn't what? Uh, yeah, we let hundreds of thousands of ours died die to prevent them from being killed by a bomb. Yeah, and and a, even a successful invasion of the Japanese mainland would not have ended the war immediately; it would have dragged on and on. 
Well, I was just thinking about that as you read that. I mean, you know, people are dedicating their uh, their lives or at least, you know, chunks of their lives to serving in the military. You can't throw away those lives over some sort of grand pronouncement of we shouldn't use this weapon. Right, right. Once the war begins, the chief aim is to end it as quickly as possible. Oh, and one more thought. I'm sorry, my, my closing thought was intended to be the following. Um, and, and this was reflected so clearly in, um, you know, the, the address my brother gave and then the address of the gent who is assuming his command um, and, and a couple of other people. I think it's safe to say every single member of the United States military, all the branches, their families are serving with them. Oh, yeah. The spouses, the children, the moms, the dads, the brothers, the sisters. No doubt the about family that. Family sacrifices, the family worries that that a part of the, uh, you know, the traditional uh, the watch, as it's called, that uh, many times he would cast an eye ashore and see his family standing there needing him essentially, but still he stood the watch. That is true, and you know, if you appreciate our military, by God, appreciate our military families. Yeah, yeah, whether it's you're moving around a lot and pulling kids out of school and that sort of thing, or if you're in an active uh, war zone, as so many people have been over the last 20 years, just, you know, tours of duty where you're gone, gone for months at a time. Dad is gone, or mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point there. Um, we have lots to talk about. There was quite a development in the looming third indictment in the whole Trump situation. Maybe we'll get to that later this hour and what is likely to be the pivot point of that whole trial, if it should occur. The third one? Which one is that again? That's the... Uh, the third one. Oh, the election interference slash January 6th, right. whatever it is. What, what might be driving that, if you haven't heard? That's pretty darn interesting. And a bunch of other stuff on the way. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Phoenix wilting in the valley of the sunstroke. Dehydration, dizziness, delirium. No surprise given today's forecast. A record 24th straight day with temperatures hitting 110 degrees or more. I've been sweating um, all over my body. People wither in weather this hot. And July's poised to become Earth's hottest month in at least the last 6,500 years. How do they know that? How do they know it's the hottest Tree month? rings, uh, turtle tracks. The report included this nugget. No kids on the playground today, and you can understand why. The temperature here on the slide is 171 degrees. That's hot. Um, Counterpoints, if I might. Well, is it, are you ready for a counterpoint? It's counterpoint time, everybody. I was talking to my dad, who is part of a big family visit over the weekend, and uh, he was looking at, I can't remember, a few days from now when he's going to be back home, and, and he's 82. Um, and uh, and he said, yeah, the tea time's 10 o'clock in the morning. It's going to be really hot by the time we end. I'm not sure. Mm. So an 82-year-old right. man right. is contemplating going ahead and playing golf. So it's not good. It's really hot. I'm glad I'm not digging a ditch in the heat. But the idea that the Phoenix is just covered with corpses. I mean, everybody's dead. <laughs> well, well, right. So my complaint earlier was, where's the news here? I, I feel like this is a news story that deserves, if anything, maybe 30 seconds. But the constant, every, uh, uh, all the newscasts except for Fox News Sunday, Fox News Sunday opened yesterday with the Unbelievable blockbuster story of more revelations about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and whistleblowers speaking and testimony this week, etc. News story should be a giant news story. Nobody's covering it. But every other Sunday news program opened with endless man on the street interviews. I don't think I've ever been this. I could not stop sweating. My, I've been my, sweating um, all over my body. Right. I'm um, sweating. My ice cream cone melted. I mean, it was kids, old women, uh, farmer dudes, just nonstop man on the street people talking about how hot they are. What is the news 
who's there? We've all been it's, hot. It's, it's all climate change. It's global warming. It's the hottest it's been in 6,500 years. Caveman diaries from 7,000 years ago say, boy, it's hot today, but it's not as hot as it's going to be in 2023. Thank God. Well, I I would be tired of this, too. But if you would if you would say, we believe it's climate change, here's why, and then have somebody else on explaining why they don't think it is, at least that would be a conversation about something. But just interviewing random people talking about how sweaty they are, what kind of a news story is that? I've been sweating yeah, um, all over my body. All over his body, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, I know. I know. I, I remember seeing a poll a while back, and I, I couldn't hit you with the specific numbers, but uh, folks of a certain demographic group and political, uh, you know, wing want stories about climate change. That is their clickbait. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, they're super concerned about it. They've been taught that it's the only thing that matters. Greta Thunberg has accused them of stealing their her childhood or something like that. And uh, and so, yeah, they're hot to trot to read about being hot to trot. Okay, so they get as excited about a 15-minute a, a, a segment of people talking about how hot they are as I do about the details of uh, the Biden crime family. <laughs> Clickbait America, that's right. Wow. This dog says it's too hot to pee on a fire hydrant. Yeah, I can't uh, spare the fluids. So I'm just, I'm just I'm not marking anything today. It's just too hot. Darn I've it. Been sweating um all over my body. Darn it. I ran out of time with my complaining. We didn't get to is Vivek Ramaswamy a taco or a fajita? We hmm. got to get to that story. Maybe I'll mention that next. Also we I think we don't well we do know the trial date. For the looming third indictment? Or is that the second? Anyway, one of the indictments on Trump. And one of the taco or And one of the key witnesses, too, we now know. So stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Barbenheimer is breaking the box office as fans flock back to theaters. The twin releases of Barbie and Oppenheimer shattering expectations. Barbie bringing in more than $155 million. Oppenheimer, more than $80 million. The box office duo pushed Hollywood to its fourth biggest three-day weekend in history, the largest since the start of the pandemic. It's not surprising to me that um, the Barbie movie, which could appeal to all kinds of different people, young and old, uh, families, all that sort of stuff, is making twice as much movie money as people who want to go out on a summer afternoon and watch a three-hour epic about nuclear holocaust. <laughs> I mean, it's not surprising to me. I see your point, yeah. Well, and how fortunate for the cinemas of America that you had, like, Barbie and, and Oppenheimer, not Barbie in, like, a Scooby-Doo movie or... Barbie in a Dumb and Dumber sequel or something like that. It's a good, you know, you're getting everybody a couple of movies. I saw Oppenheimer on Saturday. I do want to talk more about that. Uh, we got a great text about it. Uh, somebody making a good point about the deep state, which is really what the movie is at least half to two-thirds about. is <laughs> the attempt by people to destroy Robert Oppenheimer. And, man, it's a pretty good, good example of what the deep state can do. If it mm. decides to bring you down. But anyway, talk more about that later. We were off on Friday, and uh, the big news that broke then was that Judge Cannon down in Florida set a trial date for the classified documents case. So you have to keep them straight because there are, looks like there's going to be three trials at some point, maybe, or looming. You got Of the, Donald J. Trump. You got Of Donald Trump, yes. You got the stupid Stormy Daniels one. That should have never been brought forward. You got the classified documents thing. That's the keeping the documents at Mar-a-Lago and not giving them back even after they ask a bunch of times. And then you got this uh, interfering with the election thing that looks like an indictment that could happen at any moment since he got that target letter. Mm Mm-hmm. But in the documents case, Judge Cannon down there in Florida set the date for May 14th. So the Trump people were trying to say, hey, let's do this trial after the election. You can't have a trial interfering at the election. The prosecution was was arguing with the judge to try to get it going here in December with the idea, let's let's have the trial before voting begins so as to not disrupt the election. Well, For whatever reasons, the judge chose May, which is right in the middle of, actually toward the end of the nominating process. Um, If you don't remember how these things play out, by May, very often it's decided. 
And unless something changes in the polling, it'll definitely be decided this time by May. Last time around, um, Trump had essentially sealed the deal by May. And it doesn't look like he's going to have near as much competition as he did last time with Ted Cruz in terms of delegate counts. But if Trump is clearly going to be the nominee by the time the trial starts, May 14th of next year, why that's going to be an interesting look and the way the public perceives what's going on there. Has a bit of a third worldy look to it, a bit of a Brazilian look to it. The current government is putting the former guy on trial, just as the former guy is trying to become the current guy again. Now I took in a bunch of punditry about this over the weekend. That's the trial date. There, there's all kinds of appeals to come, and whenever there are appeals, they have to have like their own trial, as you know, to decide which direction they go, and that could delay the trial. So, um. Taking in a bunch of experts' opinions, it seems to be about 50-50 whether or not the trial happens before the presidential election. Because there are a whole bunch of things to push it back. Nobody seems to think it will actually start in May uh, with the various challenges. Whether it happens before the election, who knows. But there's a chance now, though. There's a decent chance Donald Trump will, and Jack Smith said it would probably take about 20 to 25 days, and Trump would have to be there in court. Remember, he had that thing fairly recently where he, he didn't show up mm-hmm. when they when they ruled that he owed that one woman a whole bunch of money. He, he never yeah, actually, that was a civil trial. Yeah. He, he never actually showed up in the courtroom for this, but for this, he'd have to be in the courtroom right in the middle of running for the presidency. I mean, man, that's that's a heck of a thing. So I just had a ridiculous thought. If I'm in uh, Team Trump, and you're aware that all this stuff, uh, the serious stuff, the documents and the obstruction of justice, and then the uh, interference with the election slash obstruction of justice, all that stuff is coming down the pike, I'd have have called a meeting and I'd have said, all right, we need some ideas. We need a way to make the American people so cynical about these two big indictments that they just assume it's ridiculous and political. And, and and don't worry about it and go ahead and vote for for our man here. Then maybe some plucky intern would have piped up. I have an idea. How about <laughs> how about we bribe a local official or somehow induce a local official to trot out a completely stupid, baseless waste of time indictment first to make everybody super cynical about indictments? Wait a minute, that's genius, Jimmy. I'm glad we brought you on board. And someday down the line, we found out, find out that Trump actually bribed Alvin Bragg to bring that pile of oh. steam and dog do indictment against him to just make everybody cynical. Yeah, well, it, you... it was so stupid. You you can hardly believe it was not deliberate. You know, our show policy is generally if something could be a conspiracy or incompetence, it's usually incompetence. <laughs> Nine times out of ten. Yeah. It's usually just somebody's bad idea. I do like your plucky intern voice, though. You should make that a regular part of the show. Thanks, Mr. Armstrong. (laughs) I appreciate it. So in another one of the Trump trials, and this one hasn't even, the indictment hasn't happened yet, but everybody seems to think it's going to. That's in the obstruction of the United States versus Donald Trump and that he somehow defrauded the country by something or other. I don't know. I don't quite understand it. But um, there is some belief that unless Jack Smith has more than he has shown, it's going to be kind of hard to prove that 
Trump did anything wrong. Well, some evidence came out over the weekend that he has more than he has shown. In well, I assumed he did, but at least one text has come out from Mark Meadows. Now, do you remember who Mark Meadows was? He was Trump's chief of staff at the time of the challenge in the election in January 6th and everything like that. Well, a couple of things around Mark Meadows, and he was a hardcore Trump defender. I mean, he went on every show and he was he was all in with both legs. On uh, on defending the the, the 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 election was stolen and Trump did nothing wrong on January six. Well, some texts came out over the weekend, if they can be proven to be true, where it would indicate that he he and Trump had conversations, knowing that the election was was lost. But maybe we could try this. Maybe we could try that. Which seems to be key to this whole thing. If if Trump believed he won, apparently that's a different legal situation than if he knew he lost. Yeah, he was just okay. wrong. If if he if he thought he'd won and he had these various legal theories of how to, you know, uh, make that clear, it's okay to be you're allowed to be wrong. Sure, that makes sense. Right. If I sell you three magic beans believing they will grow you a beanstalk to heaven, well, that's it's a it's poor investment on your part, but it's not fraud on mine. So anyway, there's belief that the, there are many more Mark Meadows texts to come out, and I'll read this from, I think it was from the Dispatch over the weekend. People in Trump's orbit have grown increasingly concerned about what they see as Meadows' retreat from the public scene as a prominent defender of the former president. He's reduced his public appearances, particularly on television, where he was once a frequent guest. He's not posted on Twitter in five months. Oh. Trump has repeatedly complained to others about Meadows and questioned his loyalty, according to three Trump advisors. A person close to Meadows says he knows his relationship with Trump is permanently ruptured and has told others he does not seek to antagonize Trump and his supporters, but concluded he had to cooperate with Smith's office as required by law. So Meadows, who was out on all the talk shows talking about the election being stolen and Trump did nothing wrong on January 6th, has disappeared from the scene according to this reporting, knows that his relationship with Trump is ruptured as in over. And and he did not he's not tweeting anything. He's not so it's possible he is going to be the star witness who is completely flipped on his boss and and might have lots to say. So that that could be pretty exciting. That story, though somewhat vague, is full of uh, significance. I think you're absolutely right. I think Meadows, who was right at the center of it, is going to, you know, well, you can phrase it the way you want, but cooperate with Smith and the authority. He could be like the Jose Canseco was with steroids or, you know, just the the person that was completely doing, (laughs) knowingly doing wrong things at one point. But then John Dean Watergate, John Dean Watergate. Yeah, is a perfect example. Yeah. who, Who finally decides that's it. I'm done. I might as well just tell everybody what I think. So. That could be exciting. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one way to put it, or extra spicy. I mean, I'm, I'm more than slightly concerned that there are certain Trump uh, fans around the country who will not accept anything that that hurts their man, though it may be justified in the eyes of the law. And I'm afraid uh, people might go a little nutty. Uh, right. I'm just thinking in terms of whether or not he could actually get convicted of something, and if if Mark Meadows is really willing to give up the goods, and I don't know what the goods would be, but if he has goods to give up, uh, that could be a problem. Now, does that happen before the election? If it doesn't happen before the election, Trump puts an end to it, and then, then and, and if Trump wins, 
then as president, he puts an end to this and uh, doesn't make any difference. But does this trial happen before the election? I don't know. Yeah, I was willing to make half-arsed predictions about, uh, like, one of these things at a time. But with the two of them intersecting and weaving around each other, who knows? Who knows? While, meanwhile, we might be going further down the road of the whole Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Biden crime family. Did Dad know? All that sort of stuff. And we'll get into some of the uh, big stories that came out over the weekend to kick off Hour 3. And gender-bending madness continues. You've probably noticed an update coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, the governor of Utah was here and said there's an explosion in his state of interest. Are you seeing that as a doctor? Yes, I mean, there has been an increase in demand for services, but keep in mind, uh, trans identities have been with us since the antiquities. I mean, the time of the Bible and uh, in literature and art history, I mean, there's examples of people throughout. So experts feel that the incidence has actually never changed. And, but what we are seeing is more people feeling comfortable coming out Mm-hmm. And so that explains the rise. Oh, experts say that. Well, we've got to defer to experts. That's Dr. Marcy Bowers, who's becoming a zillionaire, performing sex change surgeries on confused people and was on Face the Nation over the weekend. I didn't watch that. I, um, I'll have to check that out. Was there much pushback from Margaret Brennan on anybody? I mean, any much questioning of the doctor on this? A little bit, but here's what you never hear is somebody saying, you know that study you always cite? I've looked into that study. That was one study that is thoroughly discredited, and all of Europe is going against it, for instance. Yeah, I was going to throw which out we'll that get to. you would at least you'd think you could pitch the softball of it. So Europe doesn't agree. What gives? So a quick uh, survey of the headlines. Most millennials say misgendering people should be a crime, a criminal offense, according to a poll published by Newsweek. Uh, a result I find so laughable and idiotic, I suspect Newsweek may be offering up clickbait. Wow. Um, 25 to 34-year-olds much likelier to agree that misgendering should be a criminal offense. 44% agreed. Only 31% disagreed. Man, if that is your view of free speech, you shouldn't get to vote. Then you got a transgender former, the first ever transgender New Hampshire lawmaker facing criminal charges for child porn, among other things. And it is not that crazy to think somebody who's confused about their own sex, uh, their expression of sex, might be confused about sexuality and their desires for sex. At any rate, that's just worth touching on uh, briefly. The transgender Biden official, Dr. Rachel Levine, you remember this person, Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary on ABC's Nightline, spoke out against red state prohibitions against underage puberty blockers, hormones, and surgeries. She's in favor of them. Adolescence is hard and puberty is hard, Levine said. What if you're going through the wrong puberty? What if inside you feel that you're female, but you're going through male puberty? Well, first of all, the idea that there's wrong puberty is is ridiculous. And interestingly enough, only a few years ago, Dr. Levine uh, was citing the advantages of starting any sort of medical sex transition post-puberty. Quote, I have no regrets because if I had transitioned when I was young, then I wouldn't have my children. I can't imagine a life without my children. For pre-pubertal children, there are no medical procedures done. The standard of care allows them to explore that with therapy. So just a few years ago, Levine was saying not for children. Goodness. 
and now is hardcore advocating for it. I think it's interesting that the Washington Times refers to uh, Levine as him consistently through the article. Or is that the, that might be not the B, come to think of it. Then this, Wall Street Journal, uh, editorial board. Youth gender transition is pushed without evidence. Psychotherapy, not hormones and surgery, is increasingly the first line of treatment abroad. And they outline, they, they go through this list of clinicians from uh, nine different countries that are saying, among other things, we could not uh, we could not find any evidence that death by suicide is uh, reduced by these treatments of uh, underage people hormonally or surgically. The claim that this saves lives is utterly without scientific proof. And finally, from the Hill, um, and this was actually written by uh, Leo Sapir, who's an expert on this sort of thing. Well, I just used the term expert. You don't believe me? Look into his credentials. <laughs> A growing number of countries, including some of the most progressive in Europe, are rejecting the U.S. gender-affirming model of care for transgender-identified youth. These countries have adopted a far more restrictive and cautious approach, one that prioritizes psychotherapy and reserves hormonal interventions for extreme cases. Well, that's going to prevent Dr. Bowers from getting rich, but... In stark contrast to groups like the American Academy of Pediatrics, which urges clinicians to affirm their patient's identity irrespective of circumstances uh, and regards alternatives to an affirm early affirm only approach conversion therapy european health authorities are recommending exploratory therapy to discern why teens are rejecting their bodies and whether less invasive treatments may help and the idea that confused adolescents going through puberty i like the idea of less invasive than removing your genitals or removing your breasts, or treating you with permanent hormone therapies, and don't let anybody tell you, oh no, those uh, those uh, puberty blockers and hormone therapies, they're reversible. They absolutely are not reversible. Um, and then uh, they get into, uh, Leo writes, why are more countries turning their backs on what American medical associations? Oh, it's worth mentioning. The American Academy of Pediatrics, their policies on transgender stuff was written by one person, one person who's an activist on this topic. Anyway, why are more countries turning their backs on what American medical associations, most Democrats and the American Civil Liberties Union call, quote, medically necessary and life-saving care? Why are we turning, why are they turning their back? The answer is that Europeans are following principles of evidence-based medicine, known as EBM, while Americans are not. A bedrock principle of EBM is that medical recommendations should be grounded in the best available research. EBM recognizes a hierarchy of information. The expert opinion of doctors, for example, even when based on extensive clinical experience, furnishes the lowest quality, meaning least reliable information. Slightly higher on the information period are observational studies. Systematic reviews of evidence, meanwhile, furnish the highest quality evidence. They follow a rigorously developed, reproducible methodology. They do not cherry-pick studies with convenient results, but instead consider all the available research. And to cut it short, because we're running out of time, these very progressive Scandinavian, European countries, the UK, even uh, you know the Dutch, are saying, boy, if we used evidence-based medicine, we absolutely cannot justify these procedures on underage people. It's practically universal in Europe. You're not going to see EBM in any United States analysis. Dr. Marcy Bowers has zero interest in evidence-based medicine. It put her out of business. Wow. I'll have to watch that Face the Nation piece on that then. 
Yeah, there's more to this piece, and it's quite good, but we're out of time, and I don't want to belabor the point, but uh, more to come. There's some big Hunter Biden stories over the weekend, only covered by Fox and the New York Post, which blows my mind. Are they Hunter Biden stories, or are they Biden family stories? They're Biden family stories. Uh, absolutely. To kick off Hour 3, if you haven't heard them, we'll just hit you with the details. If you missed an hour, get the podcast Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.